European Heart Journal Issue at a Glance, Volume 42, Issue 21. Focus Issue, Epidemiology and Prevention, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Filippo Crea. Read to you by Morgan Bryan. Challenges in the Prevention of Cardiovascular Diseases Traditional and Non-Traditional Risk Factors This focus issue on epidemiology and prevention contains a special article entitled Lowering Systolic BP to 120 mm of Mercury or the Lancet's True Grid Definition of the ideal blood pressure or BP targets in the management of hypertension remains controversial. In the introduction of this debate, Stefano Tade from the University of Pisa in Italy notes that the Lancet recently felt compelled to lament that the NICE hypertension guidelines made a pragmatic compromise by keeping the definition of hypertension at 140 over 90 millimeters of mercury or greater. The Lancet instead suggested that updating so that all patients with a systolic blood pressure or SBP above the 120 millimeters of mercury ideal and a cardiovascular or CV risk score of 10% or higher would be offered treatment would have shown true grit. In this special article, Franz Maserli from the University of Bern in Switzerland and colleagues on the one hand and Peter Sever from the Imperial College London and Stuart Pocock from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine on the other hand debate the true grit proposed by The Lancet. Atrioventricular block or AVB of unknown etiology is rare in the young and the outcome in these patients is unknown. In a clinical research article entitled Long-term outcomes in young patients with atrioventricular block of unknown etiology Johnny Resdell de Eriksson from the Auerhaus University Hospital in Denmark and colleagues aim to assess long-term morbidity and mortality in young patients with AVB of unknown etiology. The authors identified all Danish patients younger than 50 years receiving a first pacemaker due to AVB between January 1996 and December 2015. Reviewing medical records, they included patients with AVB of unknown etiology. A matched control cohort was established. Follow-up was performed using national registries. The primary outcome was a composite endpoint consisting of death heart failure hospitalization, ventricular tachyarrhythmia and cardiac arrest with successful resuscitation. The authors included 517 patients and 5,170 controls. Median age at first pacemaker implantation was 41.3 years. After a median follow-up of 9.8 years, the primary endpoint had occurred in 14.9% of patients and 3.2% of the controls, P being less than 0.001. Patients with persistent AVB at time of diagnosis had a higher risk of the primary endpoint and risk was highest early on in the follow-up period. Did Eriksson et al. conclude that AVB of unknown etiology presenting before the age of 50 years and treated with pacemaker implantation is associated with a three to fourfold higher rate of the composite endpoint of death or hospitalization for heart failure, ventricular tachyarrhythmia, or cardiac arrest with successful resuscitation as compared to a control population. 
These findings warrant improved follow-up strategies for young patients with AVB of unknown etiology. The article is accompanied by an editorial by Claude Daubert from the Université de Rennes in Paris and colleagues. The authors conclude that the study by Resdal de Derrickson et al. adds new and important findings for the community of device physicians, even though they are hypothesis-generating. Whether the poor outcomes observed are due to the implanting physician, because of a lack of thorough workup, to find a possible etiology for the AVB associated with poor outcomes, or the device itself is still a matter of debate and would require further studies. There is a growing evidence that environmental risk factors give a substantial contribution to the global burden of CVD diseases, or CVD. In a clinical research article entitled Road Traffic Noise and Cardiovascular Disease Risk Factors in UK Biobank, Zuzana Kupsikova from the Imperial College London in the United Kingdom and colleagues investigated the cross-sectional associations of modelled residential road traffic noise with CVD risk factors in the UK Biobank. The UK Biobank recruited more than 500,000 individuals aged 40 to 69 years across the UK during 2006 to 2010. Road traffic noise, LDEN and L-night exposure for 2009 was estimated at baseline address using a simplified version of the Common Noise Assessment Methods model. The authors used a multivariable linear and logistic regression model, adjusting for age, sex, body mass index or BMI, smoking, alcohol intake, area and individual level deprivation, season of blood draw, length of time at residence, nitrogen dioxide, main model, in an analytical sample size of over 370,000 participants. Exposure to road traffic LDEN greater than 65 decibels A as compared to less than or equal to 55 decibels A was associated with 0.77%, 0.49%, 0.79% and 0.12% higher SBP, diastolic blood pressure or DBP, triglycerides and glycated haemoglobin levels, respectively. The associations with SBP or DBP did not appear to be impacted by hypertension medication. The authors conclude that exposure to road traffic noise greater than 65 dBA is associated with small but adverse changes in CV risk factors. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Pierre Manuccio Manucci from the Fondazione IRCCS Cagranda Ospitale Maggiore Policlinico in Milan, Italy, and Carla Ancona from the Lazio Regional Health Service in Rome, Italy. The authors conclude that all in all, air and noise pollution are the epitome of environmental risk factors for CVD, but also for other non-communicable diseases, such as tumours and neurological degenerative diseases. A large proportion of the people are exposed to them in high, middle and low-income countries, particularly in the frame of health inequalities and in neighbourhoods of lower socio-economic status. The burden of excess and avoidable deaths is huge. According to a recent and newly proposed exposure response hazard function, the global annual deaths prematurely occurring only from the effects of PM2.5 are greater than 9 million. 790,000 in Europe.
In a clinical research article, sleep arousal burden is associated with long-term all-cause and cardiovascular mortality in 8,001 community-dwelling older men and women. Dominic Lintz from Maastricht University in the Netherlands and colleagues quantified the arousal burden across large cohort studies and determined its predictive value for long-term CV and overall mortality in men and women. The authors measured the arousal burden, or AB, on overnight polysomnograms of more than 7,600 subjects. Multivariable Cox proportional hazard analysis adjusted for common confounders demonstrated that AB was associated with all-cause mortality and CV mortality more in women than in men. The article is accompanied by an editorial by Borja Ibenes from the CNIC in Madrid, Spain, authored together with Professor Valentin Fuster and Inés García Luna from the same institution. The authors conclude that cumulative evidence shows that sleep quality, duration and fragmentation is associated with adverse CV events. What remains to be determined is whether an intervention aiming at improving sleep quality is able to reduce the incidence of events and mortality. The association between sodium intake and CV risk is highly debated. In a clinical research article entitled Sodium Intake, Life Expectancy and All-Cause Mortality, Franz Maserli from the University of Bern in Switzerland and colleagues tested this hypothesis by analysing the relationship between sodium intake and life expectancy as well as survival in 181 countries worldwide. The authors correlated age-standardised estimates of country-specific average sodium consumption with healthy life expectancy at birth and age of 60 years, death due to non-communicable diseases and all-cause mortality for the year of 2010, after adjusting for potential confounders such as gross domestic product per capita and body mass index. They considered global health estimates as provided by the World Health Organization. Among the 181 countries included in this analysis, they found a positive correlation between sodium intake and healthy life expectancy at birth, P being less than 0.001, as well as healthy life expectancy at age 60, P equaling 0.048. Conversely, all-cause mortality correlated inversely with sodium intake, P being less than 0.001. In a sensitivity analysis restricted to 46 countries in the highest income class, sodium intake continued to correlate positively with healthy life expectancy at birth, P being less than 0.001, and inversely with all-cause mortality, P being less than 0.001. The authors conclude that their observation of sodium intake correlating positively with life expectancy and inversely with all-cause mortality worldwide, also in high-income countries, argues against dietary sodium intake being a culprit of curtailing lifespan or a risk factor for premature death. They also note that data are observational and should not be used as a base for nutritional interventions. The manuscript is accompanied by two editorials. In a first contribution, Ricky Carter and colleagues from the Mayo Clinic in Florida, USA, believe that these results need to be cautiously interpreted due to the potential for substantial confounding and ecological considerations. As rightly mentioned by the authors, these results cannot be interpreted at the individual level 
and should not be used to guide patient care. With regard to CVD management, the American Heart Association has proposed seven ideal CVD health metrics with well-established health-related outcomes. Targeting just one of the seven may be insufficient to reduce overall CV risk in an individual, let alone the general population. In addition, other factors are at play, including salt sensitivity, which varies with age, race, sex and renal disease. However, this in no way suggests that focusing on one intervention, in this instance, dietary modification, is not worth the trouble. Rather, it means a multifaceted and multi-interventional approach is required to decrease CVD burden and subsequently mortality. In a second editorial by Salim Youssef and colleagues from the McMaster's University in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, they conclude that diet is complex and trying to isolate the effects of a particular nutrient is very difficult. E.g. the effects of sodium may be modulated by potassium intake. The authors suggest avoiding recommending a specific grams per day sodium target, but instead focusing on an overall healthy dietary pattern which includes reducing ultra-processed foods. This advice should be embedded within recommendations to improve all-round dietary quality by emphasising consumption of plenty of fruits and vegetables, moderate quantities of nuts, dairy, unprocessed meat and fish, and minimising the intake of refined grains and ultra-processed foods. There is uncertainty about whether isolated diastolic hypertension, or IDH, is independently associated with adverse clinical outcomes. In a clinical research article entitled A Cohort Study and Meta-Analysis of Isolated Diastolic Hypertension Searching for a Threshold to Guide Treatment Alan Jacobson from the Johns Hopkins Medical Institutions in Baltimore, Maryland, USA and colleagues aim to further study the associations of IDH with A subclinical CVD in the form of coronary artery calcium, or CAC, B, incident systolic hypertension, and C, CVD events. Jakobson et al. used multivariable adjusted logic and Cox regression to test whether IDC by 2017 ACC stroke AHA criteria, i.e. systolic blood pressure less than 130 millimeters of mercury, and diastolic blood pressure greater than or equal to 80 millimeters of mercury, was associated with the above outcomes in the multi-ethnic study of atherosclerosis, or MESA. In addition, in a random effects meta-analysis of the association between IDH and CVD events, they combined the MESA results with those from seven other previously published cohort studies. Among the 5,104 MESA participants studied, 7.5% had IDH by 2017 ACC stroke AHA criteria. No association was observed between IDH and CAC. Similarly, while IDH was associated with incident systolic hypertension, there was no statistically significant association with incident CVD or death over 13 years in MESA. In the meta-analysis, 10,037,843 participants, the 2017 IDH definition was also not consistently associated with CVD and the relative magnitude of any potential association was noted to be numerically small. 
The authors conclude that the lack of consistent excess in CAC or CVD among patients with IDH suggests that emphasis on healthy lifestyle rather than drug therapy is sufficient among the millions of middle-aged or older adults who now meet 2017 ACC stroke AHA criteria for IDH, though they require follow-up for incident systolic hypertension. The contribution is linked to an editorial by Antonio Coca from the University of Barcelona in Spain. Coca concludes that physicians should assume that healthy lifestyle rather than antihypertensive drug therapy are sufficient in young, middle-aged and older adults who meet the 2017 ACC stroke AHA criteria for IDH, which is defined as high normal BP in the ESC stroke ESH guidelines. The issue is complemented by two discussion forum articles. In a contribution entitled, Salt Intake Paradox, the Estimation Method Matters, Jan Zhangmu and Yu Yan from the Xi'an Jiao Tong University Medical College First Affiliated Hospital from China comment on the contribution published in this article entitled, Sodium Intake, Life Expectancy and All-Cause Mortality by Mezzarelli et al. Mezzarelli et al. respond to this message in a separate contribution. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its listeners.